trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. If you are a longtime listener or just, uh, I don't know, freedom curious, very glad you could join me today. Going to make it worth your while, too. Our show is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. By the way, just I'm going to throw this out there, you know, um, looking around at what's going on throughout the world. And, and I'm going to especially encourage you, take a look at Australia where the military has been activated and actually has been deployed to enforce a full lockdown. I'm talking the equivalent of house arrest on on much of their society. Yeah, the military. By the way, Canada is not far from this as well. And this is with just a handful of, of deaths and a handful of cases that they're locking it down. Now, I, you know, I'm, pro- I'm prognosticating a little bit here, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. What I'm telling you is not gospel truth, and this is the only way it could be. But I did see where at least one White House source is saying that a week from today, the president is going to be giving some kind of a speech, and it's going to be a solemn one. Probably something along the lines of George W. Bush the day after 9-11. Yeah. So... If you are concerned about lockdowns, if you're concerned that they might uh, they might actually go full cuckoo and try to lock it down as hard as ever, this would probably be a really good week to quietly get stocked up on the things that you need. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not telling you rush out there and grab all the toilet paper. I'm just saying, if if another announcement is made like this, think back to what you saw mid March 2020. When people were emptying store shelves, just because we don't know if we're going to be able to get more. I feel bad because this is like, well, are you spreading a rumor or not? It's, you know, it's unconfirmed. But given what we see, other first world nations, supposedly, you know, people who are allies of ours, we agree with these people. We have so much in common with them. You see what they're doing? Let's not pretend that uh, it's it's completely out of the realm of possibility for such things to take place here. And just shore up your defenses. That's pretty much it. By the way, I have a sponsor. If, you, if food storage is a priority for you, lifesavingfood.com is a great place to go to look at uh, packages of all different types, you know, for short term or long term that could meet some of those needs. You'll find their link in the show notes at the com. I have a link to my sponsors, and it's it's easy to just click on it. See for yourself. Well, let's jump in, shall we? So when I'm looking for well-sourced, credible information, by which I mean not attached to a power-seeking agenda, I have really come to appreciate the American Institute for Economic Research. They're reporting on so much of the COVID uh, lockdowns and just on COVID itself and, and, and the way that, uh, that immunologists previously have handled pandemics without destroying much of an economy. Uh, it's very worthwhile. 
And they have very uh, solid, credentialed, uh, you know, thoughtful writers who aren't carrying water for a particular political party or a particular political agenda. Unless, of course, you count freedom as a particular, (laughs) you know, political agenda. How dare you try to make the world a more free place? That's just unthinkable. No, it's it's actually a good thing. In fact, before I dive into this article, let me uh, let me jump into uh, this is a quote from from Jacob Hornberger, who is uh, the president of the Future of Freedom Foundation. And I take it back. This is not from Jacob. Sorry, Jacob. He's a great guy. This sounds like something he would say. This is actually from Butler Schaefer, and it's from a book called The Delusion of Limited Government. Listen to this. A society will remain as free or as enslaved as the conscious dispositions of individuals determinant shall be. Just as the roots of oppression are found in passivity, the foundations of our liberty reside in a highly energized and focused minds that insist upon their independence. There are no shortcuts, no structures or doctrines that can be erected, no hallowed documents to be revered to save us from the effort of continually challenging those who would presume to exercise authority over our lives. I just wanted to share that with you because that's probably, if you think along those lines, that's one of the reasons why you have found this show and you would would tune in and give it a listen. What a great thought. You've got to be involved. You've got to be continually challenging those who would try to exert authority over your lives. Now, in particular, when it comes to the the whole COVID response, we have ample evidence and ample data to show us what worked and what didn't. And Ethan Yang from the American Institute for Economic Research says, let's not repeat the same mistakes with the Delta variant. He says COVID-19 has mutated into the Delta variant, which is substantially more contagious and severe than other versions. Cases are on the rise as it spreads with greater efficiency. And of course, the media is having a field day. The CDC, as if anyone trusts them anymore, recently released new guidance suggesting fully vaccinated people should wear masks. It is called for universal masking in schools, albeit recommends students return to the in-person classes for the fall. He says, I'm looking at you, teachers unions. If you simply Google Delta variant, you get results like this recent CNN article, which he links to, essentially forecasting doom and gloom. It even ends with a rather hyperbolic quote from President Joe Biden about people dying. Now, there's no denying that the Delta variant is a new issue. However, that doesn't mean we get to repeat the same level of insanity we inflicted upon ourselves last year. So he says the first thing that everyone needs to do is take a deep breath And turn off the TV. Media companies, although ideologically predisposed to a certain narrative, also profit off of hysteria. So yes, cases are on the rise. Yes, Delta is more contagious, but it isn't the end of the world. Getting COVID-19 is not pleasant and the Delta variant does seem to be more severe. However, we live our lives around countless diseases, many far more deadly. The United States, he says, is almost fully reopened and back to normal. So, of course, a new variant will spread quickly. We also know that people will voluntarily start to practice social distancing and other mitigation measures if they feel it's necessary. But these decisions should be left to individuals to decide for themselves based on their own risk assessment. 
After a year and a house under house, a year and a half under house arrest, he says many people would likely choose the risk of infection over isolating themselves again. This is especially true for young people who have been disproportionately harmed by lockdowns. He says we must also remind ourselves that COVID-19 does not pose a real risk of fatality, except for those with comorbidities and elderly populations who are now more than 70 percent vaccinated. Vaccination provides a significant boost, but not complete protection to infection, severe symptoms and death, which is great news for preventing new deaths. And he says the CDC has made this very clear, yet they still forecast gloom and doom. What the CDC seems to keep neglecting to admit are the benefits of natural immunity. Boy, is he right here, by the way. Can anybody name or point me towards any time where Dr. Fauci has so much as countenance to question, much less made comments on natural immunity? No, nothing but crickets. Which, by the way, he says, uh, uh, Ethan Yang says, that's one of the greatest ongoing medical blunders of the pandemic. Harvard medical professor Martin Koldorf, Stanford professor Jay Bhattacharya, and Oxford professor Sunetra Gupta write, if scientific leaders do not acknowledge immunity from natural infection, public confidence in vaccines and public health institutions will further deteriorate, imposing great harm to the public's well-being. End quote. Now, that's not a prescription to go lick a doorknob. This is just a statement of the obvious. That is, having immunity, whether it is through vaccines or natural infection, provides protection against pathogens. This is what we learned in grade school biology. And Ethan Yang says at the time of this writing, the reported total COVID-19 infections in the U.S. stand at over 34 million, with around 50% of the population fully vaccinated and another 8% partially vaccinated. He says preventing death from ever happening is a losing proposition and a non-starter. The objective of sound public health response is not just with disease, but with any issue is harm reduction. That is minimizing damage while allowing society to function as normally as possible. Well, that makes sense. We're going to come back to this in just a few moments. Again, this is from Ethan Yang writing for the American Institute for Economic Research. I would even recommend subscribe to their daily emails. They'll send you about a half dozen articles every day worth your consideration. Some of them are about monetary policy, some about economics. A lot of them about COVID have proven to be some of the most informative and principled articles I've been able to find. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just so you know, I have a special section in my uh, on my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. It's called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And if you are determined to own your worldview in, uh, in a world where misinformation is the norm rather than the exception, I think you may find it worth your while. I've been sharing an article here from Ethan Yang from the American Institute for Economic Research. Let's not repeat the same mistakes with the Delta variant. It's so hard to know who to believe sometimes because there's so many different competing versions of, well, here's the way it is. No, no, no. It's like this. And and it's all scary, right? It's all justification for, well, this is why you have to get the vaccine. This is why you have to mask up. This is why you can't go here. You can't go there. 
taken to the extreme, you know, like Australia. This is why we locked it down and sent the military out to enforce our lockdown. But preventing death from ever happening is a losing proposition. You cannot live if your sole purpose for living is only to avoid disease. Now, I actually talked to a good friend today who I I, I admire his honesty. He admitted, he says, last week I went ahead and I signed up and got the vaccine. And the reason he gave for it was he said, I would be so embarrassed if I caught COVID and died from it. How would I explain that? Now, I'm not going to knock his choice, but I'll tell you that I, I won't live my life like that. There's risk that I might get COVID and I might die from it. I understand that. I might also die from a heart attack or I might die from cancer or I may die in a car wreck. I'm less concerned with how I will die and I'm much more concerned with how am I living right now? What am I doing? Anything productive? Do you see the difference? Dr. Donald Henderson, who led the eradication of smallpox, articulated the basic principle of minimizing damage while allowing society to function as normally as possible. And by the way, that uh, that is linked in Ethan Yang's story about not repeating the same mistakes with the Delta variant. And Ethan Yang says this is why we shouldn't be alarmed with the results we're seeing today, because even as the more contagious, more dangerous Delta variant spreads... Deaths have stayed flat. I mean, I'm looking at the chart right here, and by gosh, that is, those deaths are the lowest since about March of last year. Maybe, no, it's, they're, they're lower than even June of last year. Remember, we saw a couple real big spikes along about April, another real big spike around the first of the year. Ethan Yang says the media will continue to pump out information lacking context about a surge in cases and the increased severity of the Delta variant. And although that information may be factually correct, they fail to communicate that with many of the vulnerable populations vaccinated, more than half of the general population having acquired immunity, the virus poses far less of a threat. At this point, as it should have been from the start, it should be up to individuals to take appropriate precautions based on their own risk assessments. Sowing fear and despair is the last thing we need right now. And then there's the matter of the public health establishment losing its credibility. In May of 2021, a study published by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the Harvard Chan School of Public Health noted that only about 50% of Americans trust the CDC. I mean, that was May. (laughs) I wonder how we're doing today. That's quite understandable, says Ethan Yang, given their track record, not just on COVID, but historically. However, it's clear that recent events have dealt a serious blow. For example, they stubbornly asserted that lockdowns were necessary only to be humiliated by Florida's reopening policies. Dr. Fauci's arbitrarily changed his position on a number of topics throughout the pandemic. And Dr. Vinay Prasad comments on the most recent mask guidance by writing, quote, Anyone who considers themselves a scientist should be embarrassed by our collective failure to generate knowledge. And this failure is once again looming large. The CDC is again recommending vaccinated people to wear cloth masks in indoor public spaces, at least in locations where COVID is surging. The CDC director calls this following the science, but it's not. It's following the TV pundits, end quote. 
So finding the CDC and public health establishment to be ridiculous has moved from being a fringe position to a rather mainstream and in some cases even an expert position. Ethan Yang says if we are going to have a public health establishment, it would be best that they not only be trustworthy, but also not encourage destructive behavior. That is because at the end of the day, as silly as their edicts may sound, there are plenty of people in power, whether that be in the government or in the private sector, who are willing to follow them. A report from the Cato Institute uh, provides a nuanced perspective on how to proceed forward when it comes to science. And it stresses that in many cases we need to understand what is a scientific fact, such as how social distancing may slow the spread of COVID-19, and what is a normative position, such as whether we should implement strict guidelines. Sometimes science can be more than just science. It could be politically charged, such as when many experts stated that social justice protests would not spread COVID, but anti-lockdown protests somehow would. And finally, he says, we must also understand that we do not know everything and should be humble. Science is very important to the prosperity and health of society, which makes it important that we use it properly. In light of all this, the CDC and others in position of authority should take note of failures from the past and learn from areas where we saw success. Now, Ethan Yang says, as a society, we must understand that the social order is full of economic, legal, and sociological factors that cannot be disregarded. Cases and deaths will rise and fall. This fall and winter, we may see a resurgence in cases, as that's what tends to happen. The bright side is that we've built up immunity through both vaccines and natural infection, which will significantly mitigate the damage. There is no reason to sow unnecessary fear, and there is certainly no excuse to re-implement disastrous policies such as lockdowns, school closures, and otherwise intrusive mandates. Now, he makes note here that, look, I don't want to consider myself a voice on COVID-19 or lockdowns, even though I have been researching and writing on the topic. By the way, that's the kind of humility that makes what he does say very attractive to me. This is a guy who's willing to say, I don't have all the answers. Okay, well, I want to know what what you do understand. But Ethan Yang says, much like every other person at the American Institute for Economic Research and other organizations who've taken a stand against the prevailing narrative, we did it because it's important. And he says, if you've read my most recent work from the past couple of months, you'll quickly notice I actually have research focuses that aren't public health. However, the response to the pandemic has seeped into practically every inch of public and private life. And he says it's truly dispiriting to see that the same chattering voices have not lost any bit of enthusiasm when it comes to cramming down narratives of death and despair. It's as if we haven't learned a single thing from the past year and a half. Although the Delta variant is certainly more contagious and more severe, Society is also far more resistant than before, and it shows in the minimal increase in deaths. The danger with all of this, he says, is whether or not we are going to get the same incoherent set of impositions on our lives as the first few waves. And he says those in power should tread lightly because they truly have worn our patience thin for what is becoming far too long. That's some pretty good information. I hope you'll listen to it, and you know, if, you, if you're so inclined, share it. Ethan Yang from the American Institute for Economic Research. I have included a link in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. Coming up, 
I've got some more wonderfully subversive stuff to share with you. Um, I have a great article here from Anders Koskinen that correctly identifies a very common mistake that parents are making when it comes to your kids. If they see you putting politics ahead of faith, you are robbing them of one of the most powerful tools they will need in order to have moral clarity. And what I'm saying here is you can't stand for moral clarity or for, or for your freedom if you don't have moral clarity. Also, we'll talk about how one of the greatest bonding activities you can have with your family is to sit down with your kid and help him or her build a rifle. No, you heard me correctly. Details are coming up. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, I just want to give a quick shout-out here to uh, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. They are an equal housing opportunity lender and definitely somebody you should be talking to if you are on the prowl and looking for a home of your own. Reason being, if you are if you're looking for a, a home and you want to make that purchase right away, you got to have your financing scored away because they don't sit on the market like they used to. There's just there's hardly any new inventory. People are snapping them up so quickly. It'd be well worth your while to uh, contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage four three five seven zero three four five two two. Whether it's for VA loans, traditional loans, reverse mortgages, these are the folks you can count on to help you. And by the way, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, their NMLS ID is 715386. Let them know you heard about it on this program. So by now it should be clear that defending freedom, it's not only a task, but it's an ongoing intergenerational kind of task. I know it's it's easy to stop and think, well, you know, somebody did the heavy lifting for us, you know, years ago. Grandpa fought in World War II, and that's how we became free. But it turns out it's something that has to be done on a regular, consistent basis. Saw a recent article from Anders Koskinen. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. When parents put politics ahead of faith. Check out what he has to say about this and tell me that uh, tell me this couldn't make a difference in our efforts to maintain our freedoms. He says, after giving a presentation on living a Catholic identity to my church group recently, a grade school teacher from a Catholic school approached me to talk, noting how she struggles to get the kids engaged in learning about their faith. She declared that they simply aren't interested in the subject. They are more eager to debate the merits and failings of Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now, Anders Koskinen says, I was surprised and perturbed that politics is still top of mind, even in private, religiously affiliated schools. Shrugging sadly, the teacher continued, I mean, if that's what their parents are into and talking about at home. And he says, that's a revealing statement. Many writers have spent a lot of time, both at Intellectual Takeout and elsewhere, talking about how parental disinterest in education is a major factor contributing to students' poor educational outcomes. So he says it can't be surprising that as American adults put politics ahead of faith, their children learn how to do the same. The abandonment of the sacred for the political and of the heavenly for the temporal has contributed to the increasing divisions in our country. 
And he says the increasing secularization of our society feeds itself, regardless of denomination or religion. Gallup first polled for this in 1937. They found that 73% of Americans belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. And that number stayed steady until the end of the 20th century. But a sharp decline in church membership has occurred in the last 20 years. Now only 47% of Americans are church members. Wow, that is, that's a pretty significant drop. And he says, contrast this with polling data on political party affiliation, which in 2021 shows somewhere between 50 and 62% of Americans consider themselves Republicans or Democrats. This is where our attention goes now. He says, we don't set our sights on the higher things. We don't contemplate God in all his majesty, nor our proper place in his world, nor how to live in accordance with his laws. Instead, we spend our time enraged or enraptured with the Donald Trumps, Joe Bidens, Nancy Pelosi's, and Mitch McConnell's of the world. Instead of contemplating higher things and striving to achieve virtue in our lives and support our fellows in their pursuit of the same, we squabble over freedoms and rights, wondering how government will solve all of our ills. And we do so having abandoned the moral foundation, properly bounding the limits of such discussions. Not surprisingly, he says, our children have picked up on these attitudes. The political questions are not unimportant, but he says they pale in comparison to the importance of the moral and religious aspect of our lives. That's a good point. As Frank Meyer put it in his book, In Defense of Freedom, in the moral realm, freedom is only a means whereby men can pursue their proper end, which is virtue. But neither this nor moral virtues are taught anymore. Even writing in the early 1960s, Meyer recognized the failings of the moral education of American children and took their instructors to task. Quote, the family is the most important form through which virtue is inculcated in children. But it is not the institution of the family as such which inculcates virtue. It is the persons who constitute the family, father and mother, and other close relations who in actuality decide the issue of moral and intellectual direction the children will take. And this is so even if, it, even if as has become increasingly the mode today, an increasing majority of parents shrug their shoulders of this responsibility and turn their children over to the state and other institutions for 90% of their waking hours. To schools and a myriad of groupist organizations from Cub Scouts to Little Leagues and to the great moral teachers of the television fraternity. End quote. So Anders Koskinen says parents cannot expect, with just minimum effort, to succeed in passing on to their children the religious and moral foundations necessary to live a happy and fulfilling life. It's not enough to attend church for an hour a week. As the testimony of the teacher he spoke with demonstrates, it's also not enough to entrust a child's moral education to a private religious school, much less to a public, state-run institution. Anders Koskinen says, try as she might, the teacher I talked with is not equipped to inculcate virtue in every student that passes through her classroom, regardless of how dearly she wishes to do so. In moral education, as in academic, if the parents are not interested and involved, the children won't be either. So he says, don't trust your child's moral upbringing to school, church attendance, or television programming. Leave aside discussion of Biden and Trump at the dinner table. Instead, talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
or tell stories of saints and their examples. Let your kids know there are moral expectations from a God who loves them, and that he has these expectations for their own good. The best and only way to give your child a good chance at living a moral life is for you to be their primary moral educator. Now, I felt a little bit of a sting as I read that. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> he's, he's got me. I've definitely fallen short so many times in this regard. But I'm also happy to tell you that we limit our media consumption in my home. Now, that may seem strange because well, I'm kind of a news junkie and I like to stay up on what's going on. But I'm pretty careful about what I allow to, to consume my time. If it doesn't bring value, if it doesn't bring light and truth into my life, I absolutely reserve the right to reject it. Now, that's not to say I don't love a good escape every so often. I was sad when The Office and Parks and Rec came off of Netflix. I was like, oh, man, those were funny shows. But I also have conversations with my kids about things that fall outside of the scope of politics. And if I can be perfectly honest, yes, it makes my kids a little bit weird from the standpoint of they don't march in that mainstream, you know, lockstep with so many of their friends. They're pretty independent thinkers. They're not marching in lockstep with me, by the way. They just they understand the importance of questioning narratives, questioning what, what they're being told. I actually have more hope for them. I, th- I already think my kids are better people than I ever was. <laughs> so I have good hope for them that they're, they're going to have good, productive lives. But I think this point from Anders Koskinen, when you put politics ahead of faith, when, when your conversation at the home centers around politics, I mean, how could your kids not get the impression that this is the most important thing in the world today? And that's why we should pay attention to it. I know no parent really likes to hear that. Probably the worst, the worst experience a parent can have, especially when your kids are small, is when you hear your kid say something, maybe something profane, that they heard you say while you were driving down the street and somebody cut you off in traffic and you mumbled, son of a gun, and then you hear your kid say that. Maybe it's not even profane. Maybe it's just something rude. You know, hurry up, Mr. Slowpoke. You, know, you get the picture. It's never flattering to see yourself reflected in some bad habits that your kid just happened to pick up. All right. When we come back from the break, I have something I want to share with you that I think could be a great family bonding experience. And actually, I have experience of having sat down and done this with my own kids. Building your own rifle. It's the perfect family project. A chance to improve your skills, a chance to bond with the young ones, and most importantly, to infuriate control freaks who don't want you to own that rifle in the first place. Would you like to know more? Well, then, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's have some fun in this final segment. Because I'm going to suggest something that I have done this myself, and it is remarkable and strongly recommended as a family activity for a number of reasons, as you're about to find out. J.D. Tusil, writing for Reason.com, has an article worth considering. Check out this headline. Building your own rifle is the perfect family project. J.D. Tusil at Reason.com says, I remember one of my mother's uncles at a picnic responding to a comment about a proposed gun ban with a laconic, doesn't matter, we'll build our own. Building rifles was his hobby. He says, I learned that day of grilling and shooting on his land in long ago rural New Jersey. His comment has come back to me over the years, especially after, for Christmas, his wife gifted him and his son a jig for completing an unfinished AR-15 lower receiver. And Tusil says, like my great uncle, we built our own and we recommend the experience. See, making personal firearms is perfectly legal under federal law, if that matters to you. Those states and localities may have their own rules. So to that end, finishing 80% receivers has become a popular pastime since the roughed out blocks shaped like the part of the AR-15 rifle that contains the hammer, safety and trigger, but with solid material where those parts should fit can be purchased without the legal rigmarole required for buying a firearm. The privacy offered by a do-it-yourself gun is somewhat compromised if you then write an article about your activities. Whoops! It's okay. I'm, I appreciate the message he's sharing. It's a modern version of his uncle's hobby, simplified by the use of jigs that guide drill bits and end mills for finishing the project. Now he says, my wife gave us the easy jig sold by 80% Arms, which is one of a number of competing products in that category. He says, I've only ever done this once, so I can't tell you which jig is best, but Easy Jig got the job done and came with clear and concise instructions that made our obsessive viewing of the online instructional video probably a bit superfluous. AR-15 receivers can be manufactured from several different materials, including polymer and various types of aluminum. Now, J.D. Tusil says, I picked up an unfinished receiver made from 7075 aluminum. Like everything gun-related, demand for these receivers has skyrocketed. The price is now roughly double what I paid. The biggest challenge, he says, was drilling the initial pilot hole needed to start milling the pocket for the fire control group, basically the hammer and trigger. Despite plenty of oil, my cheap drill press kept binding. That necessitated using a much better corded hand drill to back out the bit, which came in a package of tools also purchased from 80% Arms. But after they resumed, he says eventually the bit won the battle. Now he says, I hadn't milled anything since high school back when shop classes were offered in school, and this was something entirely new for my son. But attaching the end mill from the toolkit to a router and milling out the pocket was much easier than anticipated. The key was lots of patience as we took turns removing layers of aluminum. Molded into the jig are gauges for incrementally extending the end mill, but our router did unlock itself a couple of times, cutting deeper than intended. Fortunately, that never happened at a point where it mattered. We learned to anticipate such slips by feel so we could tighten the router. Next, he says we drilled the holes for the hammer, safety, and trigger, including bits included in the toolkit. The included bubble level helped orient the receiver horizontally relative to the drill press. Now, he says, because I focused on finishing a lower receiver, the rest of the builds uh, required purchasing a parts kit from Palmetto State Armory. 
Now, before I go any further, I'm going to warn you something. If, if you're into the shooting sports at all, and you haven't already bought something or looked at something on Palmetto State Armory's website, you need to really check yourself and your self-control because they will send you daily emails twice a day, every day, and they really do have some pretty killer deals. I found myself tempted beyond resisting <laughs> you know, purchasing it a couple of different times. But they really have a lot of cool stuff. So, back to the article. JD Seal says, Serious hobbyists will instead customize their rifles with parts chosen from many sources. For guidance in putting the parts where they belong, he says, We turn to the AR-15 Complete Assembly Guide by Walt Kulak and Clint McKee, as well as the online Ultimate Visual Guide from Pew Pew Tactical. That book walks you through the process step by step, while the ultimate visual the book walks you through the process step by step. The ultimate visual guide is well illustrated and suggests workarounds if you don't have a full array of specialized tools. Now he says we acquired an inexpensive gunsmithing punch set that proved indispensable once we threadlocked the hammerhead into place so it didn't twirl with every blow. We encountered a hitch when the safety wouldn't slip into place. And he says, when I probed with the drill bit to diagnose the problem, I discovered the holes on each side of the frame were just a hair out of alignment. A slow turn of the bit in the drill removed a whisker of aluminum and in the safety went. He says, also, I learned years ago that anything involving fiddly bits should be assembled or disassembled in a box. Nevertheless, the bolt catch spring and plunger launched themselves over my shoulder and bounced off the wall. The two of us retrieved them after several minutes on our knees with flashlights. It's simpler than I expected, Anthony told me as he installed parts. He got a kick out of figuring how they figuring out how they interact and make the firearm function. Now Kulik and McKee note of the benefits of building a rifle, it won't make you an AR fifteen armorer. In short, if you build it though, it will make you a more knowledgeable owner. You'll know how to repair it. And J.D. Tusil says, this perspective evokes my childhood hobby of disassembling doorknobs, radios, and household appliances to see how they function, and then putting them back together in usually working order. Too many of the things in our life might as well be magic, given our limited understanding of how they work. So we can't demystify everything, but examining a few things important to us enriches our knowledge while giving us more control over our lives. With the finished lower pin to the Palmetto State Armory upper kit, everything was assembled. Assembled, rather. But would our new boomstick go bang? Well, to answer that question, we went to the local range since the road to my preferred desert shooting spot washed out in a recent monsoon storm. But indoor ranges don't play well with steel core ammunition that makes up the bulk of our supply. Fortunately, he says, I was able to scrounge together a couple of magazines of range-friendly 5.56 ammo. Anthony got first dibs and cut to the chase. Yes, our home build goes bang. Now, unsurprisingly, given the politically polarized nature of gun ownership in this country, the Biden administration sees an opportunity to please supporters and sting opponents by tightening rules that allow for home-constructed firearms free of bureaucratic impediments. Specifically, they're going after 80% receivers and anything that can be readily converted to shoot, according to extremely subjective criteria that uh, they say may soon have these things regulated as firearms. But even vague rules have limits. The proposed revisions allow that an object must be clearly identifiable as an unfinished component part of a weapon to be subject to regulation. 
and that frame or receiver molds that can accept metal or polymer, polymer rather, unformed blocks of metal and other articles only in a primordial state would not, without more, be considered a partially complete frame or receiver. So it's easy to envision an expanded market for jigs and tools that help hobbyists transform bricks of aluminum and polymer into finished receivers. And he says, let's not forget that my great uncle made rifles long before you could buy 80% receivers on the Internet. So J.D. Tusil says, my son eagerly anticipates the answer he'll offer to the inevitable, what did you do this summer? Questions at school. As for me... He says, I'm more prepared than ever to rebut gun control freaks demanding tighter restrictions on everything. Doesn't matter. We'll build our own. So I don't know if that sounds subversive to you or if that sounds like, wow, that's a pretty radical thing. But it is a wonderful bonding experience. And I highly recommend it to you. Now, here's the downside. Finding ammo can be a little bit problematic. But the good news is, if, uh, for instance, let's say, let's say it's tough to find 5.56 ammo, but maybe you have a surplus of uh, 7.62 by 39 ammo. A lot of people stocked up years ago when SKSs were cheap, and you know you could buy the stuff for really inexpensive. You can also make an AR in that caliber. You can do multiple different calibers. You can you can actually build a complete AR-15 lower with the stock and the hand grip and trigger and hammer and everything, and then create different caliber uppers to go on it. Now, you do have to keep your head about you because you don't want to grab the wrong, you know, ammunition for the wrong upper. Bottom line is, though, the power is in your hands to do it yourself if you want to. And don't be swayed by cries well, that's a ghost gun ghost stories are not true even the ones told by politicians so get out there and enjoy some freedom you and your family will be better for it that's going to do it for the show today thanks again to my sponsors i so appreciate MonticelloCollege.org. also lifesavingfood.com and the heather turner team at patriot home mortgage Please go to my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Follow the articles and say hi to my sponsors. At least let them know that their message is reaching your ears. This is The Brian Hyde Show.